episode 250, a milestone of PC's podcast entitled Bells Are Ringing, and the podcast is dedicated to Spencer Leffel. Spencer immediately picked up the move in the music towards the Philadelphia sound, the soul sound of the early 1970s. He picked up on it. He made a very important correction uh, of an error that I had made, and um, he is one of my favorite people in the whole world. Now, the podcast is entitled Bells Are Ringing, which uh, comes from a, a movie of a famous Broadway musical entitled Bells Are Ringing, the movie uh, having been released in 1960 and directed by Vincent Minnelli and uh, starring um, Judy Holliday and Dean Martin and I've uh, I've uh, felt in thinking about this movie recently I've seen it three times and had seen it sections of it once long ago that it is a, a powerful repost and uh, important alternative to um, a kind of devilish stratagem a la devils uh, a la Dennis Wheatley to um, becloud and hypnotize and fog over the true interests of the human race and of individuals as over against uh, 
uh, to, to fog over and mist over those things which are ultimate and enduring and decisive and uh, last beyond uh, the grave and are essential to discover and rediscover again and again in life while we're here, as opposed to um, a stratagem of deceit which makes uh, people um, focus on and become um, attached to uh, entirely secondary issues, things that are passing away. Uh, and I uh, personally would apply this to the uh, hyper-politicization of everything today in the Donald Trump era. Now, um, I am myself, uh, I take a different line than almost everybody I know. I can't help it. I'm a political conservative and always have been on uh, on the question of the administration. But what... Um, uh, startles me is the degree of attachment that almost everyone I know, and this has been commented upon, but I'm trying to deepen it now to a to a more universal rather than a um, political alternative, the uh, attachment to uh, feelings that is so great that these feelings of negativity and uh, uh, acute um, um, uh, anger are drowning out and really um, driving out the best interests the, the welfare of the human race because the welfare of the human race does not lie in political solutions. Remember that song, uh, we are in the material world, uh, in the material, by staying in police, there is no political solution. I wish people would hear that song because, good Lord, they can't argue with Sting. Uh, they, they certainly won't argue with you too. Um, uh, there is no political solution. This is not any kind of a plea for an option to the current reigning ethos among everybody I know, which is so extraordinarily wrought up. Um, it is not to, to defend or to uh, uh, respond. It is to simply say that the degree of wrought upness I saw on Twitter this week, not Twitter, I lie, on uh, Instagram, wonderful people I know who it's whom they're entire, they would say, oh, this has been the worst week. This has been a terrible week for the country. Well, obviously, people are focused on a particular aspect, uh, an important aspect, and one that requires attention. And, and drive and uh, compassion and uh, care. But um, the degree of attachment to the upshot is a devilish stratagem to deprive people of access to their true interests, which are not political. I am a conservative politically, but that is not my point at all. I am a human being who is desperately needy for romantic love. I am desperately needy for a connection with another person. I am desperately needy and have more drive than anything else underneath the surface to a connection with another human being. Being that is romantic and based upon love, uh, it, it can take many forms, but it is uh, a desperate thing. Uh, Mary was saying that uh, an element of what she's being uh, thinking about is like a, a sort of a 20% underground river. There's an underground river of something that is on her mind, but and occasionally, it, like a geyser, it erupts through, like Old Faithful, it comes up and she's faced with it in the here and now and in the immediacy of her, of her thinking, but the fact is something is happening underneath the surface which is always there, but is to some extent displaced, or at least um, is, is not fully to the surface. And what I'm really trying to say is that if you over-politicize and get overly wrought up about people you don't know and about groups that you, um, about groups, about any kind of abstraction in a place that you're not in, important as those things are, if they follow from the core needs of a human being, if you don't root them in the prior core and ultimate and unpassing uh, away 
away uh, aspirations of a human being for love and for connection, then you will die um, w- w- with a sudden shock that you put your, your eggs in the wrong basket. <clears throat> I um, want to ask you a question. Do you think that people, when they die at the point of departure or in the um, uh, immediacy of, uh, of, of a fatal diagnosis or the uh, imminence of, of death or destruction of the body after an accident you've had or some terrible uh, poison you swallowed by mistake or, you know, you did the, what is it, the tide test or you, 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 you got yourself into a jam that is of, of terminal proportions or in the hospital as I've been my entire career, do you honestly think that um, you all be thinking about political exigencies of 2018, even if you died in 2018? No. Uh, my experience, and uh, Russell Levinson, I was talking to him the other day, and he'd just come back from the hospitals, and I just thought to myself, golly, the, so many, many, many days of paging Sarah Condon, by the way. Uh, she talks about this with such uh, delight and humor and uh, acuity. Um, the um, You visit hospitals, especially when you're in intensive care units or with people who are really sick. And I've spent a lot of time recently in units and uh, in uh, facilities where the vast majority of the patients are extremely sick. And you won't hear about um, the resistance. You won't hear about how terrible this group or that group uh, is. You don't hear about it at all. It's almost, those things are almost like all bets are off. You know, I don't even know what, what? I've, I've even I haven't read the paper for six weeks. Someone will say, you know, I, I stopped listening to to CNN or Fox News or on left or the right the moment I found out that I was dying. Now that means what did you think about? Well, I, I, I believe I have seen this a lot, and I know it from my own experience. You are thinking when you die of the important love, belovedness that you've experienced from another person. Now, obviously, as a Christian, I believe that God is holy and powerfully in that. And my whole purpose in saying this is to try to, to, try to lighten thy, your darkness so you don't take um, a, a secondary concern and passion for that which is primary, which will suddenly upend you at the moment of departure. It will upend you. You'll suddenly say, oh my gosh, why didn't I, you know, oh, I should have, uh, oh, I can't believe I'm still thinking, you know, these people who, these activists, what's going to happen is when they die of, uh, when, they, when they're in the middle of their, of a, on, they're jogging and they have a heart attack and they're, whatever it is, they will not be thinking about the objects of their uh, social activism. They really won't. They'll be thinking about a, a girlfriend that, you know, or a boyfriend or a friend or mom or somebody who loved them and cared for them and whom they love. I asked my friend Lloyd Fonville uh, once, you know, what are you thinking about these days? And now you're going to think I'm going to say something I'm not. Those of you who know my patter on Lloyd, but Lloyd um, uh, said, well, actually, and he was my age, so he's mid-60s when he was dying, he said, well, actually, you know, uh, and he was very hyper-engaged. He was a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren and what he called an old Hollywood lefty, which is a lefty, yes, but old Hollywood. I don't know if that was an accurate statement. Um, I've had people in the Episcopal Church who used to be Baptists who become high church, and they'll say, well, in the tradition, in my tradition, and they're talking about Anglo-Catholicism, which they've known about six years, you know, um, and uh, but whatever was true, Lloyd did say something extraordinarily meaningful. I, I said at some point, what are you thinking about these days in light of this or that? And he said, well, actually, I'm thinking about something that happened to me in my freshman year at Stanford. We were at kind of a party in our kind of hippie house where we lived. There was a name for it. It was kind of a center for our 
artistic hippies in Stanford in 1968, and we were sort of entering freshmen and sophomores and so forth. We were Easterners living in the West in Stanford, Palo Alto, and um, at a party with the music playing, I was sitting in kind of a window seat, and a, a freshman girl who was a classmate of mine, who I had only met that night, we were sitting together in the kind of a window seat, or in the window ledge, and she just turned to me and took my face in her hands, and she kissed me passionately. I said, what? <laughs> yes, she kissed me out of the blue. She decided she wanted to kiss me, and she kissed me passionately. And... um and after the party, that was it. I didn't see her. You know, I, I was just undone. Uh, the most powerful thing that ever happened to me was this passionate, unexpected, surprising kiss at the age of 17 or 18 or whatever it was, or 19, I think 18. This completely and totally mesmerized me, and I've been thinking about it for 40 years. And I said, well, what, ha- what happened to the girl? I mean, I wish you'd married her. And he said, oh, no, she died in a car crash in 19... And then he said something like 1974, something like right near... You know, often people that you most think about died a very long time ago, even though they were your contemporaries. And he said, but I've never shaken it. I've never shaken the power of that uh, freshman girl's kiss uh, in the fall of 1968. I have never shaken it. Well, now, that is the truth, ladies and gentlemen. That is what you're really thinking about. You don't know it, but you are, and this comes back to you. This is why when you see a movie like Bells Are Ringing, which is a brilliant movie, a fantastic musical, a tremendous conceit with all sorts of analogies to the Christian faith and to the providence of God and the love of Christ, and you can go into it, but it wasn't written with those analogies in mind. It was written, however, a study in romantic love of a telephone answering service operator and uh, a kind of washed-out playwright whom she's attempting to help, among others, people whom she's trying to help, and she falls in love with him, and the power of it is you're deeply stirred during songs when she intervenes in his alcoholic and completely um, depressed and paralyzed life and she presents her love and understanding to him in the most bold and one-to-one way possible and imaginable and this completely turns him around. She is an angel uh, a miracle of God that her love for him completely turns him around and then that story repeats itself and repeats itself and as I was watching this movie which takes place in a place where I was a little boy, I grew up in Sutton Place in New York and the Three key musical numbers, a song called um, I Met You Just in Time, a dance number uh, which occurs before a party on Sutton Place, and the conclusion of the movie, the final chorus with the kind of looking into the great bright future of these two finally reunited forever and enduring lovers, all takes place in the playground at the end of 57th Street on Sutton Place South that I grew up in as a boy and was there every single day with the nanny or my mom or whoever it was, every single day for like five years I was there before school every single day and so here I I completely am attached to the place where this was filmed and where it takes place and the other aspects of the movie which does describe New York as I lived it in the late 50s and uh, you know um, mid 50s and um, you're watching this and that that but that's not what stirred me I mean I was kind of a little bit of pride I was able to point out to Mary oh this fancy place where I grew up and da 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 and um, you know but then that's not what stirs you 
what stirs you in the movie is the love of this this woman for this man and the fact that he loves her rightly. There's no Me Tooism going on here. He actually, totally, and completely, utterly loves her in a way that is absolutely perfect to what human beings require, need, and wish to have. It is a total fulfillment of what a good man can be and do is the Dean Martin of all people character. He exemplifies perfect male affect in the romantic relationship of the two of them, as does she, although she lies to him in such a way that he is required and has no problem forgiving her. Uh, And she asks it. She actually says she's sorry in a very powerful manner, and he is able to completely rise to the occasion. It's just amazing. But as I watched, I said, you know, this is enduring. My heart is stirred. You know, I was sitting with Mary watching it. She was stirred. Our emotions are stirred. What stirs your emotions? Well, yes, your anger is stirred by certain political individuals. Your um, passion and your uh, your self, you know, your your, your righteous anger or self-righteous anger. But let's call it righteous. Let's say you're righteously anger. That is... But that's not what you'll be dying thinking about. You'll be thinking about your Judy Holiday or your Dean Martin, whether he or she is dead or alive or whether, like Lloyd Fonville, he was thinking about her and she died only four years after this happened in the mid-70s and yet he's never been able to shake the power of the love and the surprise and the total um, radical connection that she offered him and gave him at that particular moment of his adolescent life. Our friend Nancy, uh, Hannah, often says, well, you know, we were at an age when these uh, uh, relationships, we were so vulnerable. Uh, So no wonder that they made such an impression. No wonder that we spent 50 years thinking back, whether we're male or female. That's what endures. I was at a 50th class reunion not long ago, like a week ago, and we kept singing the song that we'd sung at our commencement in 1968 in the National Cathedral, and we sang it twice, first at the at the service for those in our class who died in 1968, St. Albans School, and then uh, during the commencement of the class of nine, 2018, 50 years, and the, the music was exactly the same. Oh God, our help in ages past, and in it... It says, time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. We are fluid. We are passing away. We are a dynamic process. We have no continuing city except the powerful impact of the love we are given and can love. Obviously, I root that in Jesus Christ ultimately, but for most people here and now, it is a romantic connection. It is not a political passion. And I'm trying to save you from an attack of the devil to mislead you about the importance of something that is important, but is not ultimate. Thank you so much, and we're going to conclude. We uh, began with um, dedicating to Spencer Level, When Will I See You Again by the Three Degrees? And now we're going to have... We're going to listen to that powerful, universal song, She Used to Be My Girl by the OJs. Love you. Be my girl, she, she used to be. 
Good luck. 